is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. And with me again is my other host, Keith Black Trudeau. Keith, how's it going? Uh, great. Uh, thrilled with the response that uh, we've oh, gotten. Man. Blown away, really. Uh, yeah, absolutely. With what the feedback we've gotten from that first episode. Uh, I'm, if it's possible, I'm actually more excited now than I was a week ago. I'm very excited to get into this. Yeah, I, I'm extremely appreciative of everybody who who not only just listened to the show, which we were you know, kind of blown away with the amount of people who listened to the show um, on that first episode, but also the people who were kind enough to to rate and review and do all that stuff on Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify and and then to just send us their kind messages on Twitter. You know, a couple of people said that this is one of their new favorite shows and it's just amazing to hear stuff like that and um we're really happy that you guys enjoy the show. We're happy to, to see where this thing's going to go in the future. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be doing this today. We're going to be doing the 1984 NBA draft. Uh, you may remember this draft. It's, it was considered for a while to be one of the more popular drafts. Uh, one of the more historical uh, ones that you could look back on similar to the 96 draft or the 2004 draft. This is the Michael Jordan Hakeem Olajuwon, John Stockton, Charles Barkley here. There's a lot of meat on the bone. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that. But first, um, let's do a little, let's talk a little bit about the current Detroit Pistons who are setting up summer league on Thursday night. Um, what did, what did you think of that first week of free agency, Keith? Well, look, I understand that a lot of fans maybe had really high expectations given the huge amount of cap room that the Pistons had, uh, this past week. And I, I know most of them came away either underwhelmed or disappointed by what they did, which was take on, you know, Alec Burks and Nerland's Noel uh, for a handful of second round picks uh, from the Knicks. Uh, but I, I think what kind of, what people are kind of overlooking is that uh, Burks and Noel, they, they, they both believe it or not fill a need on this team and they can both play. Uh, everybody, uh, seem to want shooting. You know, Alec Burks is a shooter. I mean, he, he's not great at any other one thing, but he can absolutely uh, shoot the cover off the ball. He, he very good three point shooter uh, can create for himself that he could, I could see him starting uh, for a while. If uh, Jaden Ivy is taking his time uh, adapting to the NBA. Uh, the, the one thing that this Pistons team has lacked forever has been shot blocking around the rim. And as much as I love Isaiah Stewart, that's just not uh, a role that he's best at. Great defender, but not a guy that's going to come from the weak side and, and block a layup out of the way uh, a lot. So Nerlens Noel is actually one of the premier uh, rim protectors in the entire league. Uh, he doesn't play a whole lot because he's kind of a negative offensively outside of lob dunks, uh, but he absolutely fills her. He was one of the best defenders in the entire league a couple of years ago, and the only reason he doesn't get uh, more notoriety thing is because he's hurt all the time. Now, I'm not saying either of these guys are going to be a big part of this team 
after this year, even after the trade deadline, they probably aren't. But I, I think if you get past the disappointment of the Pistons not making a big free agent splash, uh, they actually picked up a, a couple of really solid additions with absolutely no long-term salary commitment. They're going to have more cap space next year than they had this year. And that's, that's kind of hard for me to fathom. Well, that's kind of the thing though. I mean, it's always been about, I think James Edwards put this out uh, a couple of years ago that the, it, it's always been about 2023 and that off season and getting to that point. Um, you know, when you look at the free agents that were out right now, there wasn't really anything that was going to change the game. DeAndre Ayton is a fine player. Um, there's some there's some questions there about his video game play and, and all yeah. that stuff. And then, you know, obviously, Miles Bridges is an idiot um, <laughs> and a horrible person. And I uh, hope he never plays basketball again. But there's him. Uh, you know, there was there wasn't anything that was going to really make the Pistons that uh, for sure playoff team this year. Yeah. So, so instead what you do is you take this core and you, you work on it for a year and, and you get these guys together and, and, and let them show what they can do. And soon enough, there'll be a, a team that can attract some of those free agents that, that I know Pistons fans really want to have here. And, um, you know, once Kevin Durant gets traded here in a couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> then everything will be ready to go. And, uh, that, that simple domino. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, that's one that I would love to see Kevin Durant here. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I, plus they just, they don't have any high, you know, high value contracts to even send over to Brooklyn to, to make the trade. I mean, even. They have so much cap space. It honestly doesn't, they could send over anybody and, and absorb his contract, uh, any number of guys on expiring deals. And I, I'm, I'm sure the Nets would love to trade him here for the low, low price of, you know, Cade Cunningham, but no, it, everyone wants Kevin Durant, but no one wants to pay the price to get Kevin Durant. It right. is, it seems to be that the hold that we're in right now with the Nets haven't moved him yet. So no, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think this is going to be the year to let the the young kids play. And I think for the very first time we, we have, you know, a solid young nucleus. We had, we had a big hole at the two guard position for a while that hopefully has been filled by Jane and Ivy. Uh, so I, I think we're going to get our first glimpse of what the, the main core of this team is going to be uh, moving forward. Yep. I'm looking forward to this season. I think it's going to be a blast. I think, I think attendance is going to be up. Um, you know, at least I hope it is. Every, everybody I'm, want everybody wanted the Pistons in yeah. Detroit and they're there now. So you guys got to go get them. You got to go watch them. You can't, you can't. Uh, to to I, be fair, it, it was up, I think significantly last season. I'm pretty sure from where it was, they were dead last yeah. for a while. Last season, they took a little uh, spike They're They were up. I, st I still think they're in the bottom third, but they're in the upper portion of that uh, tier. And yeah, I, I think that there's, especially they had such an exciting draft, two exciting players. I think whether, regardless of how much they actually play, I think the excitement level is going to be a little bit higher than even it was last year. It's going to be a gradual process. No one wants to hear that because the Pistons have been bad since 2009, really. But uh, it, it's a process. They're going to get there. Troy Weaver has convinced me that he knows what he's doing and he has a plan. There are adults in the room, I promise everybody. Yes. No one wants to be told to be patient, but no one wants to be told that with the Lions either. And I think they have someone uh, in charge of that organization that knows what he's doing too. We just have to deal with it. There's no quick uh, fix to this. 
we're trending up. I promise you. Yes. Everyone just calm down. Uh, all right. Uh, well, hey, one more thing. Uh, two more things, actually. Okay. Kate Cunningham looking like a professional wrestler out there now. Dude is swole. Uh, what, you know, it's a lot can happen in a few months, but he's, 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 he looks muscly. He looks like he's a little bit leaner. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see what this guy can, can do after a, uh, a year of uh, a, a, a year of an NBA career and uh, an off season full of training. And, and I know, I, I know, you know, we all follow Ashton on, on Twitter. It seemed like they got to work like the day after the NBA yep. season concluded. So he's, he has not stopped working. So I'm excited to see where this is going to go. Um, second thing, and I don't want to belabor it. I don't want to get too far into it. I know this isn't a super, this isn't a Pistons topic, but give me like, give me like two minutes. I'll clear out and, and let you have, you know, <laughs> give me like two minutes. Give me, give me a one minute, give me a minute and 30 seconds on. Do you think Kevin Durant is ruining his legacy? Okay, so for, first off, with the Kate Cunningham thing, just to touch on that real quick, uh, he reminded me, at least the photos that I saw, that we all saw, reminded me a lot of Killian Hayes last year, where I think his problem, his rookie year, was the same problem as uh, Cade's, where he, he just wasn't strong enough to handle contact, and he was losing his dribble in situations that he shouldn't be for a guard. And I, I think Cade has kind of followed that same pattern. Like, Killian Hayes still has other issues in his game, but the main one was you know, he could be pressured into turnovers, into losing his handle. Uh, I, I think Cade hopefully has fixed that. Like you said, he, he looks way stronger. All right, on the topic of uh, Kevin Durant, his legacy, it's, it's so odd because he's very, very clearly one of the top 15, 20. Even if you don't like him, you have to admit he's one of the top 20 players ever to touch a basketball. Uh, some people would put him even closer to the top 10. I wouldn't. But the talent is undeniably there. He's one of the greatest uh, scores ever uh, of all time, but he's, he's just gotten this rep of, you know, he can't win the big one. And I think maybe he figured going to golden state would solve that problem. It didn't, it actually made it worse because now people use it as talking point. Well, you, you had no success, you know, until you left to play with a, a team that was already a championship quality and you, you didn't really do anything for them. You, you made them better, but they were already good enough. Uh, Kevin Durant, where he's at right now, I, I think the only thing that is going to change his legacy in the minds of most people is if he goes to a team like the Pistons, and I'm not saying that he should go to the Pistons, but like the Pistons, where they're in a situation where they're nothing without him, at least from a, a championship standpoint, and he takes them and he drags them at least to the finals, you know, like LeBron did for year after year with mediocre um i don't say mediocre but teams that weren't quite um uh super teams you know later on with um like his later cleveland years per se like even after they lost kyrie irving he still took them to the finals like people want to see that out of kevin durant i think and look i i think uh how things ended in brooklyn or at least it looks like how they're going to end in brooklyn is that it is really gonna People are going to use that against him too. And I, I think it's a little bit unfair, but on the same point, you know, that's, you know, that's the burden of being, you know, a, an NBA megastar. Like you have more control over your 
uh, team than any other superstar and really any other team sport. That's just the nature of basketball. And eventually you are going to be, he, he, he's taken, you know, teams to the finals before he's taken teams, you know, to the conference finals, but he needs to go and he needs to win a championship where he is clearly the alpha dog, clearly the best player. I don't know if that's in the cards for him and it's an unfair standard, but it's just the reality of, uh, being a superstar in the NBA, it has always been that way. It just seems like it's uh, more emphasized in KD's case, you know, because of social media and because he participates in social media, usually against his own better interests. Yeah, you could totally see that um, whether he says it out loud or not. I mean, that whole jump into Golden State thing and the way that everybody reacted to that, it's, it has affected him. Mm-hmm. And um and yeah, and I think that you're, you're, you're right. He wants to be, he wants to be the guy who leads a team to the championship as the alpha dog. And, um, but I just think, you know, and I'm all for the player empowerment era, like all for it. You know um, I think players should be able to play where they want to play and, uh, to, to a certain point. And, and Kevin Durant is kind of being that certain point where it's like, you wanted Brooklyn, man. And you went in there and you held Brooklyn hostage and you were essentially the GM of that team. You wanted James Harden there. You wanted, you know, to be with Kyrie. You wanted to do all this stuff. And when it doesn't work, you just kind of bail out on this, on this team. And, and, and now it's like, now you, you now you're not happy again. You want to be traded again. And, and if I'm a team that's taking on KD, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering which KD I'm going to get. Am I going to get the KD? I really want the one who's going to, you know, he's going to be a phenomenal player regardless of, of uh, where he lands, but it, it, personal, personal wise, am I going to get a guy that's going to want to stick around for a long time? Or am I going to get the guy who is going to be unhappy in two years and want to be traded? And it, and it's just, I don't know. Um, it's tough, but anyways, anyways, let's jump into today's topic. The 1984 NBA draft. All right. So just a little bit of history as uh, Keith and I were just talking uh, before the pod started there, there wasn't really a, an NBA draft lottery at this time. Is that right? You're right. This is the very last year uh, that the NBA held a draft without having a lottery first. Uh, prior to this, uh, it went in order uh, in terms of team record with the exception of the top two picks uh, where there was a coin flip between the teams with the two worst records in the league for who got, who got to pick first. And that was it. And Houston, uh, you're talking about the process. Houston really gained the system. Uh, coming off of their 1981 finals appearance with Moses Malone, uh, they kind of saw that it, the team around him wasn't any good. They were paying him a lot of money. So they, it was essentially a sign and trade to Philadelphia uh, in 1982. Uh, where they gutted their roster uh, soon after, and they just bottomed out. They they just literally, they were the first team to, I think, build their team to lose games. And they were playing guys that towards the end of the year that shouldn't have been playing at all, and they were playing them 40 minutes. And it was noticeable to the rest of the league. And it, it worked for them twice. Uh, in 83, they bombed out, uh, won the coin flip, got Ralph Sampson, who was the big prize that year. And in this year, 1984, they did the exact same thing, even though they had Ralph Sampson, uh, bottomed out again, uh, gamed the system, and won the coin flip. And they they won uh, what everyone considered was the Akeem Olajuwon sweepstakes. So 
you know, after after this draft that we're having right here, the NBA kind of threw up their hands and say, okay, that's enough. Uh, we we don't need teams aiming to have that number one pick every year and thinking that they have a fifty percent chance of pulling it off if they're terrible enough. Uh, so they instituted the lottery, which was essentially the Houston Rockets rule uh, to prevent a team from. And you know what the funny thing is, uh, teams still tried to game the system. They had to tweak it for a very long time, uh, tweak the odds. But, you know, this is this was the start of it, the 1984 draft. Yeah, it's 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 really crazy that, you know, I hate the draft lottery. I I, I think it's stupid. Um, but I understand that that teams can game, uh, you know, the system and um, but still it's just, you know, it, it's tough if it, if you're a team like I remember the Nets a few years ago were like all world bad. They had won I, I don't know, something like 10, 12 games or something. They were the worst team, I think, in NBA history. I don't think they got the number one pick the next year they were the team that probably should have got the number one pick, but instead they, you know, they don't. I, I'm, I'm of two minds on it. Um, uh, like for instance, football, I, with the, with the exception of maybe one or two drafts every 10 years, I don't think having the number one pick as opposed to the number two pick in football, you know, means so much that teams will go into their entire season saying, let's go one in 15 and, and let's get this guy, you know, unless, unless Peyton Manning is out there. I, I don't, yeah, I don't see in basketball. It's just different because there's, there's a lot of years where having the number one pick is like, like this guy could change our franchise. And I, again, I'm of two minds on this. I don't think teams should be rewarded, you know, for being bad, for having bad management. Uh, on the other hand, I do think that teams that are just bad, you know, by default, just because they're in bad situations. I think, I, I think they still deserve, you know, at least some kind of a high pick to help them out. Cause that's what the draft is for. It's to even out the league. Uh, but I, I don't think you should be rewarded for purposely being bad. And there's no, look, there's no way to legislate intent here. Right. We, we, like, we think we know which teams are, are being bad on purpose, but we don't know for that for a fact. Right. So I, I think this is a good happy medium. I understand why people don't like the lottery. I just don't see a better solution than what we have right now. I mean, I, I do getting rid of the lottery entirely and having the, the draft wheel where teams know their draft selection 30 years in advance. Uh, but that's kind of a radical thing where nobody, it, it doesn't seem like there's any support for that. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't like it. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, uh, what, you know, the last thing we'll say before we get to actually redrafting is, wow, the NBA draft is a totally different animal in 1984. It was like a smoky uh, hotel mm -hmm. <laughs> conference room type of thing. Whereas, you know, today it is glitz and glamor and it's on ESPN and there's, uh, you know, they bring in Kendrick Perkins to, you know, do the things that he does. And, uh, and you know, it, it's just huge, huge production. Um, but in 1984, it was, it was nothing. And, and there were, there were more than two rounds at the time. I believe, I think they they went to, uh, there were seven, seven rounds. Yeah. That's insane. Seven rounds. Uh, and, yeah. and most of those guys, you know, outside of the, the first two rounds, they never even wound up playing. 
Yeah, I, I I honestly think they only did that because that's what everyone else was doing. Because the NFL had you know seven rounds, Major League Baseball right. had had that. They just said, okay, well, everyone else is doing that many. You know, not thinking that your roster is only twelve players at the time. So it, there there was really no point in having more than two because you know odds are anyone you pick after round two has almost no chance of making your team. I mean, some players filtered through the cracks yeah. and, and made it, but those players would have. Uh, filtered through as undrafted free agents and probably made it anyway. So, I mean, what's the point? It almost makes more sense to have more than two rounds now, now that you have the G League. Exactly. Plus you I'm, can... actu- I'm actually hoping they, they yeah. move to three. Yeah. yeah. Because it, so, so they can actually have a minor, a true minor league system. I'm That's sorry. Right. Oh, plus, you know, you know, uh, teams like the stash Euro players, like the, the mm-hmm. business are stashing Prachita now. Um, if he, Prochita was like a third round pick, they could have had somebody else, you know, come in at the second round pick, stashed him in the G League, and then still stashed um, Prochita, you know, in the Euro League. It just, I don't know. I, I, I think it would just help teams who are going to stash Euro players a little bit more uh, if they could still, and it would help, obvi- you know, obviously help some college prospects have a chance to get into the league because just because you're a second round player doesn't mean that. And, and, and look at Jokic. I mean, the yep. MVP of the league, just because you're the second round player. He was uh, a stash. Doesn't mean you can't, you can't come up. And uh, so, yeah. Um, all right. Let's do this. 1984 NBA draft. The Houston Rockets are on the clock. I here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to be the GM of, of the one team. And then Keith Trudeau is going to be the GM of the next team. And then it'll come back to me. It'll go back to him and so on and so forth. I am going to be the general manager of the Houston Rockets. And I, with the first pick, this isn't going to be a shock to anyone. The Houston Rockets select Michael Jordan from North Carolina University. I mean, come on. Do I really need to get into a huge explanation? Michael Jordan clearly, even at the time, I think was the best player in college basketball. It was a different era, though. This is when you needed your bigs. This is what, you know, and, and, and the Rockets already had their guy in Ralph Sampson, but to pair him with Elijah Wan, you know, it turned into a thing. They wanted to go into the finals a couple of years later, but Michael Jordan is clearly the best player in college basketball coming into this draft. Uh, and, and, and I, I don't see why, you know, you don't go with him. I mean, I know it's a different time, but Michael Jordan, greatest yeah. player of all time, uh, as we know now, um, Perhaps he goes to the Rockets and with him and Ralph Sampson and, and yeah. company, who knows what that team could have been. I mean, you could have had somewhat of an early uh, lob lob type type of time, you know, Jordan to, to Sampson. I, I mean, it just would have been incredible. Uh, so yeah, that's my pick. Michael Jordan to the Houston Rockets. Yeah. The, um, the, the fit, especially instead of having to try to figure out how you're going to do two centers, uh, you know, having Jordan and, and Ralph Sampson such a natural fit and both guys like to run, man, that's a, I would like to see how that uh, would go at least until Ralph Sampson's knees started getting out on him in a few years. Um, right. All right. So I have a question, uh, Mike, have you ever heard of the, the uh, TV show quantum leap? Yeah. Where you, you know, you, the guy who uh, he, he quantum leaps from time to time, tries yep. to set, yeah. set, so, set things right. But yep. So, yeah. so for, so, for people that don't know, Quantum Leap was an early 90s uh, sci-fi show uh, where played by Scott Bakula of uh, Enterprise fame. Uh, so the, That's the premise, yeah, so 
the, the, the premise of the show was Scott Bakula's character would leave essentially possess the body of a different person uh, at some point in the late 19, late 1900s at a at a point in, the, in time where they're about to do something or say something that'll have catastrophic negative consequences. And, you know, his job having none of these, none of this person's memories was to figure out who he was and what the problem was and how he was going to fix it. And as soon as that one problem got fixed, you know, his mission would be over and he'd be uh, phased out. He'd be leaped out uh, into the body of the next person for another episode. Uh, so I always, when I was little, I always had this uh, idea for a quantum leap episode where Scott Bakula's character would go into the body of a scout for the Portland Trailblazers in 1984. And he, he, his, his mission for that episode would be to try to convince the, the general manager of the Trailblazers not to select Sam Bowie. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So everyone talks about Sam Bowie. Uh, and, and rightfully so. The, the pick was terrible. It was terrible yeah. even in hindsight. Um, I've got takes. I've got so many takes. Yeah. Well, he, he, look, he was a very talented uh, center at Kentucky. Um, he was also a guy that missed two consecutive seasons to a broken leg. He he was a fifth year senior when when the uh, Blazers drafted him. Uh, people they talk about Keegan Murray being too old for for the draft. For being a, a top five pick at, at, at the age of 21, uh, Sam Bowie was 23. Sam Bowie was the oldest number two pick in NBA, in modern NBA history. Uh, that, that alone, and again, if, if he were healthy, I don't think it would have mattered a ton, but there's a reason why he's the oldest number two pick, because he was a fifth-year senior, because he had just missed two years with a broken leg. I mean, especially if you're Portland, and you had the history with uh, Bill Walton and, and leg injuries. I, I don't, he is the, I know he's the poster boy uh, to this day of guys taking, you know, fit over or over uh, talent, over best player available. Uh, but here, here's what I'm going to talk about with this pick. Uh, the, the original sin uh, of the Sam Bowie pick was not uh, the Portland Trailblazers. It was the Indiana Pacers because the Portland Trailblazers were a 48 win team and they somehow had the number two pick in that draft. And why do you think this is? Because in 1981, uh, the Indiana Pacers traded, and this is going to be a theme, most of these picks, well, I would say almost half of these picks uh, that we're going to go over in these top 14 didn't belong to the teams originally uh, that, that are actually picking now. Uh, six of these picks were traded years before this draft, and two of these picks were traded on draft day. And th there's a reason for that. Uh, people talk about poverty teams now. Uh, you guys don't know what poverty teams actually were. We, in, the, in the late 1970s, early 80s, the, the NBA actually had poverty teams. They had teams where they didn't know that they would be solvent in three years. They, they didn't know the, the Indiana Pacers themselves. They needed a, a telethon just to, just to keep operational uh, for a year. Uh, so you had these teams uh, at the bottom of the league, the Clippers, the Cavs, the Pistons, the uh, whatever, the Pacers. They were they were trading draft picks five, six, seven years down the road uh, just for any kind of help, anything that would get them maybe to the playoffs, get them some home playoff revenue, uh, maybe sell some tickets. They were desperate. And, and most of these GMs are thinking, 
well, I'm even if the franchise is around in seven years, I'm probably not going to be. So what do I care if I trade a first round pick in 1984 when it's only 1978? So back to what Indiana did trading Tom Owens, who, by the way, lasted exactly one year with them. Uh, they traded him a year later to the Pistons uh, for a second round pick. So that's how much his value went down in just a year. They traded a first round pick for a second round, uh, the same guy for a second round pick. And he, I, I saw him play with the Pistons. Uh, I mean, big guy, skilled guy, not athletic at all. Didn't have much range. Didn't bring a whole lot to the table other than being, you know, tall. And he was out of the league after Detroit, uh, you know, two years after the Pacers sacrificed, what, what wound up being the number two pick in the draft and a chance to draft Michael Jordan. And I always kind of joke that this is the most significant trade in Chicago Bulls history. Well, it, not the Pippen, not the Pippen trade. No, it's the, um, the Tom Owens, the Tom Owens to Indiana, to, uh, Indiana trade in, in 1981, because if, if the Pacers have this pick, do you think they're thinking about Sam Bowie? No, no. They're, they're thinking about the guy that they, they're thinking about the guy that everyone is calling the next uh, Julius Irving, which people were legitimately comparing him to Dr. J at the time. So, you know, they're, they're taking Michael Jordan and then the bulls, you know, maybe they go boy, maybe they go somebody else. We're about to find out uh, if they don't have Michael Jordan, but if, if the Pacers don't trade this pick, I, I don't think there's any way that the bulls ever get Michael Jordan. And it's, it's just one of those, people focus so much on the bulls passing on Jordan that they don't think about the fact that the blazer or excuse me, the blazers uh, passing on Michael Jordan, that they don't think about the fact that they should never have that, have had that pick to begin with. So, all right. So enough with that. Uh, this pick is just as obvious as your pick. I am going with Hakeem Olajuwon, Akeem as he was back then. He added an H to the beginning of his name uh, five years later. And I am reuniting instead of at the end of their careers when they won a championship in, uh, as Houston Rockets, I am I am reuniting uh, five slamma jamma in Portland in 1984 at the beginning of their careers. I'm pairing uh, Kim Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler together. You can have Michael Jordan and Ralph Sampson. All I see is championships in Portland, in Portland from here on out. You, I, I really don't care about. Uh, what happens, how this affects the players that they would have gotten from this point on. I now have a decade to build around Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, two of the greatest players of all time. Drexler, or um, Olajuwon, one of the 10 greatest players of all time in my estimation. And, you know, whether or not they win a championship in the next three or four years, immaterial to me. Because I, I think within three or four years, they will surpass the Lakers in the West and no one's going to challenge them for the next decade. They, they will be the dominant Western Conference team of the 90s. Wow. Yeah, man. I can't even. Wow. Uh, just think about, you know, you, you, you fast forward down the way. Do, do, uh, <laughs> do the Pistons win that 1990 series if, if Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler uh are on the floor i i don't know man i i i don't know if they do and uh just you know i don't know if michael jordan wins that michael jordan and the bulls win that uh well obviously michael jordan and the bulls aren't anything because he plays for the rockets but uh yeah i don't know man that 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 pit the 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 blazers might have been a huge 
huge dynasty throughout the 80s. They might have disrupted the Lakers and Celtics. Uh, yes. uh, you know, wow. It's uh, interesting to think of that. Uh, so I am up again. I've got the third pick. The Chicago Bulls are on the board. Now I've got some decisions to make. I've got some tough ones. Um, I think the brain obviously goes to Charles Barkley here. But then, you know, at the same time, John Stockton, easily one of the best point guards that's ever played the game. Uh, so do you go with a guy who can who can snatch down the rebounds for you and, and score a lot of points? Obviously, you know, Barkley was one of the best scorers of the 90s and uh, won the MVP and all that stuff. Um, but, man, John Stockton could really lead your offense together. But what if you don't really have one? Right. <laughs> uh, so – I'm going to take Charles Barkley. I'm going to take, so with the third pick in the 1984 draft, the Chicago Bulls select Charles Barkley of Auburn University. Uh, my concern here is that Charles doesn't have Moses Malone to tell him that he's fat, <laughs> <laughs> which, which Charles will tell you is a, is a big part of his career. It was yeah. that, you know, he, he did not take things too seriously until Moses Malone told him that he was fat and slow and all that stuff. And that's what Charles started to get in good shape. Uh, you know, and, and he was a, he was a fine player before that he was a decent, decent player. You know, I'm pretty sure the Sixers were, were going to be happy with what they were getting out of him, but they obviously got a much better player uh, once he started to get in good shape and everything. So I, I don't know is, does he wind up being an MVP with the bulls? Uh, you put him in there with Orlando Woolridge, and, uh, you know, Dave Corzine, uh, that's your kind of a, you know, interesting group there at the, uh, at the, at the front. I don't know. Um, but I think you got to take him based off of what we do know about him. Yeah. Uh, maybe Dave Corzine calls him fat or maybe Orlando Woolridge calls him fat and, and, and they get things going. So yeah. Barkley to the bulls. Yeah. It's a young team, good young nucleus. We'll see what they can come up with in a few years. Okay, so uh, once again, I think this selection kind of makes itself, but I am going to, I'm going to make a case for it anyway. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks, once again, just like Portland, a team that is just coming off of a playoff series victory, somehow manages to have the fourth pick. Why? Because Cleveland traded it to them four years prior in 1980 for the legendary Mike Bratz. <laughs> uh, Legend. Yep. So the Mavericks, like Portland, um, embarrassment of riches. They're already a pretty good team. They have Mark Aguirre. They have Orlando Blackman. They have a, a promising young uh, rookie point guard. Not a starter at this point, but he's he's obviously uh, was a, a good pick for them, was Derek Harper. And I am going to select uh, John Stockton, of course, out of Gonzaga. Now you might say, you can look at their roster at the time and say, okay, they have a bunch of scoring. They have guards. They have Mark Aguirre at the three. They need a four. They need a five. They, they wound up uh, selecting Sam Perkins this year in 1984. I'm going to pass on Sam Perkins and take by far the most talented player left on the board. And a lot of people don't uh, remember Derek Harper, his, uh, his rookie season uh, the year prior. Uh, part of the reason that they lost to the Lakers in the playoffs, well, they would have lost anyway, but part of the reason uh, for their defeat was in 
in game four of that series, they're on the verge of tying it up at two in Dallas. And the Mavericks uh, get the ball. It's a tie game with, I think, 15 seconds left. And Derek Harper uh, has the ball in his hands, and he thinks they're actually ahead by the point. So instead of trying to score, he runs out the clock. He, he, you can see him. He, he's literally dribbling out the, the last 10, 12 seconds of the, of, of the game, thinking that the Mavericks are leading the game, and they're not. Uh, he has a total chair Smith moment in reverse and they want to losing the game in overtime. So if I'm the Mavericks, yeah, I need size. I don't have a good four or a good five right now. Uh, but I also have a, a young point guard that just cost me a playoff game because he didn't know the score. So I am going to select John Stockton. And if John Stockton takes a couple of years to make his way into the starting lineup, so be it. You know, people forget in Utah, John Stockton uh, wasn't a starter there until, you know, the end of his third season, like Ricky green, they already had an all-star point guard in Ricky green. Uh, so it's not like Stockton just stepped in. He played, but he was a backup. Uh, and I, I'm looking at the future of the Mavericks. I have three first round picks next, next season. They use those all on big men. Anyway, they drafted Uwe Blob, Bill Wennington and Detlef Schrempf. So I have plenty of opportunities from here on out. I know Roy Tarpley of Michigan fame uh, is coming in a couple of years. I have plenty of years to, to find my future, my, uh, future power forward, my future center. I'm going to lock in John Stockton right now. And you know what? John Stockton is such a good setup guy. Maybe in five years, Mark Aguirre doesn't want to leave. Huh? That's interesting. I mean, you know, that as we know, Stockton is the, NBA career assist leader mm -hmm. um, and steals and steals. I mean, he could, he would have, he would have made the Mavericks uh, which were, you know, a decent young team, but still weren't taken very seriously for a while. He would have definitely put the Mavericks on the map. And as you mentioned, he would have got some playing time immediately. It's crazy that Stockton holds that assist record and steal record, despite not really starting for three yeah. seasons. That's yeah, his first year as a starter. He led the league in assists and I, I think seven consecutive years, something like that, where he led the league in assists. It happened immediately as soon as they plugged him into the starting lineup. It's crazy. All right. I'm back on the board with the Philadelphia 76ers. They have the fifth pick in the draft. They uh, got this pick from uh, the Clippers, which I'm sure I'm just going to guess is much like a Pacers situation. Uh, yep. <laughs> they needed to get rid of it. Uh, so, <clears throat> I'm, I'm surprised the Clippers never went out of business, but, um, but here we are. Uh, so this is where it gets a little tough. I said before it was going to get a little tough, but before I had to choose between Hall of Famers, now I'm going to have to choose between career role players. And I think that the smartest thing to do is now that I don't have my power forward in Charles Barkley anymore, uh, I'm still a good basketball team. You know, I, the Sixers, we just won the championship a couple of years ago in 1983. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we still have Julius Irving. We still have Moses Malone. We still have a really good nucleus. Uh, maybe we can bring on another young player, another young power forward, a future Detroit Piston. Otis Thorpe, I think, is the way that you got to go. So <clears throat> with the fifth pick in the 1984 NBA draft, the Philadelphia 76ers select Otis Thorpe from Providence. Now Thorpe uh, would, you know, he wound up being like a career 14 point guy, eight rebounds, 
Uh, certainly, certainly a guy that could 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 bang with the best of them. Uh, he, he went wound up going to the All Star team in '92. Uh, you know, uh, I, I like it. I like it. He won a championship with that Rockets team uh, a few years later. I think that he's probably the best way to go. And he uh, is, a, is obviously a former Piston player. And you may remember him because he's connected to probably the worst draft pick the Pistons mm-hmm. ever selected. He was yep. part of the, he was the reason that the Pistons got that number two selection from the Grizzlies. Uh, but that is a, for a, that that's for another uh, therapeutic session and another podcast. So Otis Thorpe is the pick uh, your analysis, Keith, not, not, a, not a your analysis, but your analysis. All right. Out of curiosity, do you remember the exact, do you recall the exact trade that got the Sixers this pick? No, I was right. uh, so not alive yet. Yep. Well, my, <laughs> to be fair, neither was I. All right. So this was actually a, a trade made in 1978, six years before this, uh, uh, to the Clippers. The, the Clippers got uh, World Be Free. You remember World Be Free? Of course. Yeah. Yep. One of the uh, remorseless gunners of the late 70s, early 80s. Fantastic scorer. I think fantastic might be a little strong, but he was a very fun player. Uh, didn't do a whole lot when he wasn't shooting the ball, but it didn't matter because he was really good at, at, at scoring. But yes, uh, virtue of world be free, who believe it or not, will come up again later in this in this uh, draft. Uh, yeah, the um, I was actually kind of surprised that you picked Otis Thorpe. Uh, I don't hate the pick whatsoever. Um, as you said, the Sixers are in a win-now situation. And Otis Thorpe, uh, very much an NBA-ready player. So I, I can't hate the pick uh, at all. Uh, now, for the Bullets, and uh, by the way, I, I would like to announce a trade because this is what actually happened in uh, real life. Okay. All right. So what happened in 1984, we had a three-way trade uh, between the Bullets at six, uh, the Cavs at 12, and the Seattle Supersonics. So the trade was uh, the Bullets traded out of the draft, uh, entire, well, out, of, out of the first round. They gave up their number six pick uh, to the Cavs, and they got Gus Williams, uh, one of the best Sonic guards ever, crucial to their 79 championship team. And they got Cliff Robinson, uh, who was a 18 and 10 power forward. Uh, is that Uncle Cliff or is that the other? No, Cliff no, Robinson? no. This is a different Cliff. Yeah, there, the there's actually Cliff. a pretty good Cliff Robinson yeah. who was a power forward uh, in the early 80s. Not, a, not Never an all-star, but pretty good player. Coming off a career season of 18 and 10. So the Bullets, they, they, they want to, they move their chips towards the win now uh, category. The Cavs in return got to move up from 12 to 6. And the Sonics moved into the first round at not having a pick. They got the 12th pick plus Ricky Sobers. So even though the Bullets are, are selecting, they're actually selecting for the Cavs. So on, on the behalf of the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, I think there's a clear best player on the board. I'm going to take Sam Perkins from North Carolina. Yeah, there you go. And so what happened with the Cavs, they didn't make the playoffs this season. They, they needed a, a big man. Uh, I think their actual pick at this point was they traded up to get uh, Roy Tarpley. And uh, yeah, they, they, they gave the Celtics a competitive first round series and they bottomed out the next year, but what happens two years from now, I know the Cavs are going to 
have one of the great draft runs in NBA history where they pick up Brad Doherty, Ron Harper, and uh, do a draft day uh, trade for Mark Price in one draft in 1986. And then in 1987, they pick up Kevin Johnson, who Mark Price beats him, uh, Kevin Johnson, out for the starting job. And they wound up trading Kevin Johnson to Phoenix for Larry Nance to really fill out their lineup. And the, the Cavs go from being a doormat to a powerhouse overnight. I do not want to do anything that affects that future. I don't think Sam Perkins does. I think Sam Perkins actually fits that lineup extremely well because I think Larry, Larry Nance could play the three, even though no spacing whatsoever, but that's fine. That was Lenny Wilkins. That's what he specialized was having three big men and two uh, sharp shooting guards. That, that was his thing. So I, I think this pick actually makes the Cavs even better than they were in the late eighties, which they were a legit championship contender. Uh, and maybe Sam Perkins gets them past the bulls in 1989. Maybe, maybe they're ahead by enough points for Michael Jordan if he hits that last shot in game five over Craig Elam, maybe it's not, maybe they're still, maybe they're behind by three points at that, at that time or four. And it doesn't really matter. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I I'm thinking Sam Perkins could actually believe it or not be the difference between the Cavs being an also ran and being an, an NBA finals team. Okay. Interesting. I like what you're doing there. I uh, I'm very interested in that. Do, do they do they wind up getting Brad Doherty later down the road? I, I think so, because like I said, I don't think Sam Perkins is a guy that raises uh, your floor. I think he's a guy that raises your ceiling because he was a very, very good role player for a lot of uh, very good teams. Uh, first with the Mavericks, then with the Lakers, uh, then with the Sonics. You probably remember him most with the Sonics in the mid-90s. And then after even after he left with the, uh, left the Sonics, he was a great uh, stretch five one of the original rule stretch five guys uh, with Indiana, with a team that went to the finals, everywhere Sam Perkins went in his career, his team was better for having him. But I don't think he's the type of guy where if you put him on a really bad team that he makes them better. I think he makes good teams. I think he makes very good teams better. I don't think he makes really bad teams better. He, it's kind of like, I say this about Isaiah Stewart a lot. I think he's the exact type of player you put him on a, a championship contender, you'll notice his value. But if you put him on a team like the Pistons, you'll see him, but I don't think you'll see the true value that he brings. You got to feel bad for a guy like Sam Perkins. So uh, goes to the finals with the Lakers, mm -hmm. loses to the Bulls. Goes game to win the he hits the game winner, though, in game one. Yeah. Goes to goes to the finals with the, the, uh, the Sonics, loses to the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he goes to the finals with the Pacers and, you know, they lose to the Lakers. He, he, he went to the finals a bunch of times. Guy just never yeah. could get that ring. I, I just. Yep. And uh, he, he went to the conference right. finals with the, he, he, he came within one game of going to the finals with the Mavericks in 1988. And they lost to the Lakers in game seven. Mm. It's rough. It's rough. All right. Uh, so the San Antonio Spurs are up next and they picked uh, Alvin Robertson from arkansas with the seventh pick i am gonna stick i'm gonna stick because you know i'm just looking at this team i was looking over the roster they got george gervin still he's he's kind of on his way out at this point uh, they've got artist gilmore who's also you know uh kind of out at this point and then i'm looking at the the guards the rest of the guards they have on this team 
Uh, John Paxson is, you know, people remember him from his Bulls time, but he was like the epitome of off the bench role player, point guard type guy. Um, and, and and then you got Ron Brewer, who uh, I admittedly don't know too much about. Uh, so they they could use that guard help. And, and Alvin Robertson was one of the best guards uh, in college basketball at, at the time. He winds up becoming a four time uh, uh, all star. Also a future Detroit Piston there for a little bit. Um, he was this guy, man. I, I forgot how good Albert Ro- Alvin Robertson was. He was all yes. NBA second team in mm-hmm. '86. Like he was, he was a very good player. The the Spurs got a steal here. Uh, you know, if if the Cavs or the Bullets or um, you know whoever picked before would have taken him instead of Melvin Turpin, who knows? You know, uh, it's just big Mel. What what a steal. Uh, yeah. that Alvin Robertson is at, at the seventh pick. Good, um, good pun there. Cause he, I'm very much known as one of the greatest uh, steel artists in NBA history. Yeah. Uh, only, only guard in NBA history to record a quadruple double to this yeah. day. NBA defensive player of the year in 86. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm definitely sticking. Um, I'm almost wondering if I should have taken him earlier, but here we are. Uh, Alvin Robertson stays a spur. Okay, so the Clippers, believe it or not, actually, this, despite having traded their their high draft pick, uh, they actually have two picks in this round. Uh, this is the first one coming up. Uh, this one, uh, believe it or not, involves World Be Free. Uh, two years after trading their 84 first round pick for World Be Free in 1978, they traded World Be Free to Golden State for their 1984 first round pick, uh, which as uh, we have it, is number eight. And the all right, so this is what I'm trying to avoid with this pick. Uh, after this draft and before the season, uh, the Clippers go full Clippers. Uh, they trade uh, Terry Cummings, just a couple of years shy of being Rookie of the Year, or a couple of years after he won Rookie of the Year. Uh, Craig Hodges, one of the premier three-point shooting guards of his generation uh not great at any other one thing but you know three pointers still incredibly valuable skill even in the 80s and ricky pierce one of the great six men of all time uh the the highest scoring player the pistons have ever had and let go uh they 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 traded them all to milwaukee for marcus johnson who was misused uh got hurt a local guy i'm pretty sure he went to ucla um, but never really fulfilled his potential and his career was over in a couple of years, uh, due to a severe neck injury. And all I'm thinking with this pick is how do I get, look, I can't, Marcus Johnson isn't on the board. I cannot trade. I cannot, uh, draft him. Uh, who I can draft is a big athletic wing, uh, crowd pleaser, a guy that's going to get up and down the floor, a guy that is going to make it very hard for me to go and get Marcus Johnson later on. And that is the one and only Jerome Kersey. Uh, Jerome Kersey, actually really a second round, late second round pick in the actual 1984 draft. Uh, not too many people knew about him. Uh, as I said before, wonderful crowd pleasing, athletic uh, finisher, a uh, big guy, athletic guy. Um, could shoot even a little bit from mid range. Uh, fit beautifully on those Portland Trailblazer teams running the floor with uh, 
Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler. Um, I think he's going to be an instant hit in LA and hopefully they keep that nucleus together. I don't know that they're going to go anywhere anyway, but you know what? Uh, bottoming out didn't do them any good either uh, for the rest of this decade. All they have to show for their losing seasons is Danny Manning, who good player. I'm not too concerned about possibly missing out on him. So Jerome Kersey is my pick at nine and hopefully uh, hopefully the Clippers come to their senses and say, you know, we're going to keep this nucleus together. We're going to see how it goes. We don't need to go for the cheap uh, ticket sell with Marcus Johnson. Well, see, now I'm the, I'm the, uh, we're sharing the screen right now and you're looking at my big board. I'm the, I'm the uh, Kansas city Kings and I'm, I'm looking up and down and I'm not seeing Jerome Kersey on this board. It's because I forgot to put him on there. And now I'm going, Oh man. Uh, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, so, okay. So the Kings are up at nine. Classic Kings. Classic Kings. We don't know what we're doing. We're falling asleep at the wheel. Don't know what city you're going to play in next year. <laughs> right. Don't know where we're going to go right now. We play for Kansas city and uh, you know, they don't really care about us here. And uh, all right. So I'm up and I got some decisions to make. The original pick is the, uh, the, the Kings took Otis Thorpe. Mm-hmm. Great pick. Yes, great pick. Uh, I think they move. They wind up moving him not too long. At, like he only spends a little bit of time there, right? Before they move him to Houston. Um, yeah, I think a part of the Kenny Smith trade. I want to say. I think that was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> I still need that power forward. I'm a I'm a young team. What do I know? Uh, we're not going to be that great this year, and uh, we're not going to be that great for a while. But. We could always use a guy who is going to get us some rebounds, right? Get us some block shots, mm-hmm. do some things for us. You know, I'm looking at a guy who, who is one of the best college basketball players around. Okay. Mm-hmm. A guy who was originally going to go number two in this draft. Oh, I'm looking at Mr. Sam Bowie because I'm going to take the chance on a guy who can get me 10 points, eight rebounds, you know, a, a guy who can get multiple block shots a game. He he's, he was a, you know, I argue with people all the time because they always make this joke that Sam Bowie, uh, you know, it was the, the second pick, the guy picked before Jordan, the guy picked for the greatest player of all time. Uh, and, and, and it really just denotes, what Sam Bowie was like, he wasn't a bad basketball player. It, they, they make it seem as though he, ne- he wanted, he just, you know, he never played and the trailblazers took him and he went and he went right to Spain and we never saw him again, but Bowie was, was a great player, you know, when he could stay healthy, that was the problem. He did have some injury issues. So maybe he goes to the, the Kings, maybe they find a way to make him healthy. The Kings get a, a, a star in a lot of ways because, you know, Bowie was, one of the, again, one of the best college basketball players in the country uh, before getting hurt. So maybe he helps this King stay in Kansas city because they're up in the attendance these days, unless they were already moving out. I'm not sure uh, you would be better to know that. Um, and, and I think that the Kings build around Sam Bowie and maybe they, uh, they hire a good trainer and, and uh, maybe they try to steal Mike Abdenauer from the Pistons and uh, and they and they keep old old Sam Bowie healthy, but I think that's the way to go. And 
I don't regret it. Sam Bowie to the Kings at nine. All right. So the number 10 pick, uh, once again, the Sixers, despite being, you know, one of the best defending champions last season, one of the best teams in the league, they have two picks in the top 10. Neither of them belong to them because they fleeced just like the Lakers and the Celtics fleeced uh, poverty teams during the late seventies and early eighties. Like, and and it, in the two thousands with Paul Gasol. Yep. So this, this was actually the deal that part of the deal that brought uh, Bobby Jones to, uh, to Philadelphia. This was originally Denver's pick. Uh, and they, tra- it was part of the deal that sent George McGinnis to Denver, brought Bobby Jones to, uh, to Philadelphia, who most people would know him for being a sixer. All right. So if I'm Philly, uh, remind me, who did you pick number five? Otis Thorpe, right? Yep. All right. So the actual pick uh, at this point was, um, oh, shoot, what was his name? Uh, Leon Wood. Uh, one of the great, um, I don't say great, but a very, very hyped uh, high school basketball player. Famously, he made the Olympic team over Charles Barkley um, and John Stockton. Uh, very intelligent player, uh, big point guard. Uh, just didn't have any real scoring skills that translated to the NBA. Um, wasn't quite athletic enough for the NBA, and he was not in the NBA for very long. Um, and he kind of became one of those, you know, whatever happened to that guy uh, players, because he was such a highly touted um, player coming out of high school. Uh, but, you know, he, he made a, a name for himself as an official, where I think he still works as, an, a, as a referee, which is kind of cool. Um, so... So if I'm Philly and I've, I've taken a big man, just like I did for, for real in 1984, I need a guard. And from the looks on my list, uh, I am going to take uh, Jay Humphreys. Uh, I am going to take Jay Humphreys. And there's a reason for that. No one that I can take at this point is going to start for the Sixers. Uh, I look at the Sixers roster. Uh, I've, I've got a rock solid backcourt in Maurice Cheeks and Andrew Tony. Uh, they are in need of a third guard uh, badly, which is part of the reason why they, they took Leon Wood where they did. And uh, I think Jay Humphreys actually had a, had a really good career for himself. Good two-way player, uh, a pretty good floor general, not a very explosive player, but a big guard could really put his body into you. He gave Isaiah Thomas fits, believe it or not. Because uh, he was so much bigger and he was almost as fast, uh, I, I think he could actually win a playoff game or two for me. I don't think he's going to get me past the Celtics this year. I don't think anyone in this draft because Charles Barkley couldn't do it. So who else could? You know, short of Jordan or Akeem. Uh, but I, I think down the road, I think Jay Humphreys is going to pay off in the long run as Maurice Cheeks ages out, as Andrew Tony's uh, health concerns get worse. I think Jay Humphreys can move on into that starting lineup and uh, kind of keep things rolling a little bit until things completely bottom out after Dr. J retires. All right. Jay Humphreys off the board at 10. Another guy didn't, didn't even put on my big board. Didn't even think about Jay Humphreys. Um, just because, you know, Jay never really, never really totally panned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm in, I'm in the Hawks war room right now and they are celebrating. They're yep. going crazy because they thought, you might have taken Kevin Willis with the 10th pick. And 
now we get to take Kevin Willis with the 11th pick, which is what the Hawks originally did. And, and I don't see why you wouldn't want to go back to that again. I'm getting a guy who's going to be here for 10 years. He's going to make an all-star team. He's not only going to be, you know, uh, here for 10 years, he's going to be in the league till 2007. That's insane. Uh, he's going to help the Spurs win a championship, um, which is weird. You know, gosh, I didn't realize, you know, I remember when the Spurs won that championship with Kevin Willis mm-hmm. and, and it was like, you know, they were acknowledging it on TV. Like Kevin had been in the league for so long and he fought so hard to get to this point. It was almost as if Kevin was going to retire right after that. And he's like, nah, I, I'm going to go back to the Hawks for a couple of years. And, uh, and I, yeah, I'm going to keep trying to, 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 to do this. And uh, 2007, that's just insane. Yeah. I think that a guy drafted in 84 yeah. lasted that long. That's Robert Parrish type numbers. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So yeah, I'm going to go with Kevin Willis, a guy who is going to be a foundational player in Atlanta for, for many years I'm going to help Dominique Wilkins and Spud Webb and and the gang uh, who we're going to get next year, Uh, you know, get this thing going. And the Hawks are going to be one of the best teams in the East. And uh, Kevin Willis is going to be a part of that. Yeah. So yeah, if you wouldn't make, if you didn't pick Kevin Willis here, I was going to jump in and pick him for you. Uh, (laughs) I, I realized I was passing on Kevin Willis at 10, but given that I, we had just drafted Otis Thorpe, and we're a win now team. Look, if I was the Clippers, I wouldn't care. I, I draft them and put them together. The Sixers, you're trying to win a championship. It's, it's a win now situation. At, at 10, you're drafting for fit more than need. And I, I just drafted a fit at five with, with OT. I realized I'm, I was passing on a much better player. Not, not that Jay Humphreys was bad. I just went over the fact that he's he could be a very good third guard for the Sixers. Kevin Willis, all-star caliber big man, uh, one of the very few really successful big men with a wingspan shorter than his height. <laughs> very known for having those those muscular yet kind of stubby arms. Um, yeah, like you said, the Hawks are celebrating with that pick. All right, so now, uh, now I have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are actually picking as part of the three-way deal that I talked about before. They are picking for the Seattle Supersonics. Where does world be free come into this? <laughs> uh, he, he was only traded for two of these picks, uh, unfortunately, not three. Um, okay. So I am going to take without hesitation, uh, Tim McCormick. I'm going, I am going to take the same player that the Seattle supersonics uh, took with a 12th pick was Tim McCormick out of the university of Michigan. Uh, everyone would know him from uh Valley Sports Detroit fame. Uh, he will give you three reasons why uh, this was a great pick after this draft is over. Okay, so now you look at Tim McCormick's uh, stats, and I notice he's not on your board either. I don't blame you. Uh, no. Tim McCormick, uh, kind of a, a gangly big man out of out of Michigan. Uh, not a bad player, just wasn't very good. Uh, he was moved to the Sixers later, had, had some more success, but there's a reason I am staying the course uh, and keeping Tim McCormick, even though I have several players that are better than him on my board, is because two years from now, Seattle is going to trade Tim McCormick for the, to the Philadelphia 76ers for a 1989 first round pick that is going to turn out to be a young man out of 
the state of Indiana named Sean Kemp. And that is Tim McCormick's ultimate legacy in this draft. I don't see a Sean Kemp on my board. I am no. willing to wait. I am willing to wait five years for this pick to pay off. I, right now, I don't want to change anything. I want to keep Tim McCormick. I want him to not work out in Seattle. And I want the Sixers to come calling and offer their first round pick in 89 so I can have one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, Sonic in NBA history the one and only Sean Kemp. But to do that, I got to take an L right now. I am taking Tim McCormick. Sorry, Tim McCormick, if you're wow. listening. Wow, wow. You don't often see that someone take the long play in a redraft, but I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, but if, if you look at my draft notes, not that I was worried you were going to take him, but my all my draft notes said at this pick was take Tim McCormick no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even put him on our big board um, because he's Tim McCormick. Yeah, uh, but I get it. You know, you're gonna fleece uh, or the Sonic. You're gonna fleece somebody later down the road mm-hmm. with with Tim McCormick. I, I like it. Um, all right, with the 13th pick, my last pick of today's draft because we're only doing the four top 14 picks because I, I doubt that anybody really wants for us to get into Terrence Stansberry. Uh, <laughs> world so with the 13th pick i'm going to change the course of the nba i'm going to change everything oh i've got my scouts you know my scouts are out on the road and they're they're saying hey you know we love this Vern fleming guy we love you know melvin turpin ron anderson's good player we even like devin durant not kevin durant but devin durant i don't think there's any relation there uh but, but there's this guy, there's this guy in, in Brazil that we just cannot stop falling in love with. He is the best player in, 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 in all of Europe. I mean, he's the man. He's the, you know, he's the FIBA MVP. He's, he's everything. I'm going to go with my gut, and I'm going to start the Euro invasion a little earlier than, you know, than the, the Drazen, Drazen uh, Petrovic uh, years, you know, and all that stuff that's going to be later. And, and I'm actually going to make Drazen Petrovic an even bigger star because of this pick. Uh, I'm going to take Oscar Schmidt out of Brazil, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. He's probably the greatest Euro player to ever play the game. Um we're going to get him. He did get selected by the Nets in this draft in the sixth round. They never got him over there. I'm sure Keith has much more information as to why uh, they couldn't pry him away from Brazil. But we're the Phoenix Suns, man. We're going to get this done. And, and we're going to have a nice 6'8 shooting guards, uh, small forward combo. And he is going to immediately jumpstart the, the whole Euro craze in the NBA. And guys are going to be getting drafted left and right out of Europe after this. Okay. So your rebuttal. Yeah. No, no, no. I, Hey, look, I, I love the uh, outside the box thinking here. Uh, Oscar Schmidt, uh, part of the reason, well, as, as far as I know, the main reason why he wouldn't leave Brazil is because, you know, playing in the NBA made him ineligible to be uh, an Olympic uh, athlete. Uh, because even though you could play professionally anywhere else in the world, that was still considered amateurish. Um, if you played in the NBA, you were a professional, and until 1992, professionals were not allowed to play in the Olympics. Uh, so 
I, I could see the logic behind this pick. Oscar Schmidt uh, has been clearly the most talented player on the board for probably five, six picks uh, at this point. Um, it, it is all I can see is it's maybe drafting him in the first round as opposed to I, I forget where was he drafted before second, third, fourth. I mean, he was a later round pick. Yeah, sixth. Six. Yeah. So I can see where maybe he wasn't enticed by a six round pick salary. Uh, you know, which was essentially a tryout offer. Maybe they gave him a guaranteed minimum deal. I, I, I don't, I have no idea what their offer was, but it couldn't have been great. Uh, but you know, a first round pick salary, uh, guaranteed money. You, you, maybe, just maybe, he comes over. Uh, and maybe, maybe that you know, the the power of the almighty dollar is enough to convince him to join the NBA, and you know, put him on those those Suns teams. And man, uh. Oof. I maybe he, he I'll tell you what maybe he's so good that you know he he takes them a little bit uh or he pushes them down a little bit in the draft where they're not able to get uh the the players that they acquired later on I I, I don't know I, Oscar Schmidt is a fascinating what if to me yeah. um uh, so I I fully endorse your your pick there I I'm going to go with a much more boring selection the Clippers once again are on the board uh they acquired this pick from Seattle uh, in a trade uh, for uh, Tom Chambers, the, the trade that sent Tom Chambers to Seattle in 1983. Uh, clearly the Sonics robbed the Clippers here because yes. there's no one, there's no one on this board. That's, I mean, we talked, we, we've been talking this whole draft about teams robbing, you know, other teams of their draft future draft picks, you know, for players that weren't good enough. This is the only time where it's, it was the reverse where the team that, the player that was sent in this deal was so much better than the value of the pick that they got, but that's, you know, typical Clippers, right? All right. So with the 14th pick, I'm going to stay the course. Once again, I'm going to draft uh, Michael Cage. Hey, uh, Michael Cage, uh, one of the great uh, rebounders uh, of his generation, uh, very much like Sam Perkins, wherever he went, uh, his teams won. Uh, well, except for the Clippers. Every, well, as soon as, but as soon as he left the Clippers, I mean, he was, you know, a successful player just about everywhere else. Uh, people would know him for playing for the Sonics, ir- irony. Uh, you know, he started on a lot of uh, early 90s Sonics teams that made, that made deep playoff runs. Um, famously started, uh, I would say he's most known for starting on that 94 Sonics team that won 63 games and, you know, got stuffed in a locker by Dikemi Mutombo in the first round. Uh, but yeah, Michael Cage, a wonderful fit on this team. Uh, side note, uh, one, the greatest single greatest statistical uh, race in NBA history was the rebound race between Charles Oakley and uh, Michael Cage in 1988. Uh, Charles Oakley, a couple days before the end of the season, grabbed, I think, 35 rebounds. He was going for it. Like he was he was behind Michael Cage. He was really going, gunning for that rebound title. And Michael Cage needed exactly 30 rebounds on the last game of this uh, final night of the season to win the rebounding title by exactly one board, which he did that. He grabbed exactly 30 rebounds. Hmm. I think the last one came with about a minute left. Uh, one of the underrated players, I think, of the late 80s, early 90s, because he never gets talked about. Uh, but I, I love his fit here, just as the Clippers actually did pick him here at, at this pick. Uh, which was a steal, and I think it still is a steal uh, from where I'm picking him. Um, he fits wonderfully with the, the current core that we have now, Terry Cummings, uh, Jerome Kersey, 
uh, Ricky Pierce, uh, Bill Walton's here. He won't be for very long. Uh, so Michael Cage can move right into that starting spot once they trade Bill Walton after this season. Uh, but yeah, uh, believe it or not, I actually, I have to agree with what the Clippers did in the draft uh, at this pick. I, I can't believe I'm even saying it, but uh, we're going to end this mock draft with uh, Michael Cage talk. Michael Cage, best Jerry Curl in the business. Wonderful, I mean, yes. Like, Thank you for mentioning that. Wow. I mean, I used to look at his cards, and and even in the late, you know, the 80s, early 90s, he was working that thing, man. He just did not want that, that look to go away. And he was pulling it off. He really mm-hmm. was. Uh, all right, so that is our uh, that is our mock draft, our top 14 picks. Uh, now, let's just for fun, the Pistons – selected the 20th pick they got uh michael or excuse me um who did they get tony campbell rather yep. and uh you know campbell didn't stick around too long if if you're the pistons and you get this 20th pick who who left on the board are you taking i mean there's there's Vern fleming yep. there's stansberry jeff turner danny young I, I i suppose our argument is um if the pistons somehow moved up to 15 because there's still five uh, picks left now between now and you know when the Pistons so there's still five more players that have to come off the board before we get to the Pistons right. um Tony Campbell I believe it or not he was on my board uh if Jerome Kersey was gone uh at number uh eight I would have taken Tony Campbell at number 14 in the same attempt to uh hopefully deter them from trading for Marcus Johnson uh yeah Tony Campbell was not a bad player. I think he was a guy that needed minutes. Like if you look at, uh, he was, he played for the expansion Timberwolves. Uh, he averaged well over 20 points a game, 20 points, I think five assists, three rebounds. I mean, he was a really productive player because he got minutes, but his problem was if you put him on a good team, uh, like the, the bad boys Pistons or the Showtime Lakers, he just didn't produce in limited minutes. He wasn't built for that. Uh, so yes, I, I think he is definitely the wrong pick, even though he wasn't a bad player. Uh, I am going to, if I were the Pistons and I had somehow had the next pick, um, obviously they're set at guard with Isaiah, um, John Long and Vinnie Johnson. Uh, we, we don't have Jody yet, but that's fine. Uh, I am going to take, uh, Jeff Turner who uh-huh. not, 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 Definitely not the uh, a bad boys type player, career uh, backup, but he is also a one of the, I don't want to say one of the first pick and pop guys because there were a lot of them, but he, much like Bill Ambier, was a guy that was a big man that 99 times out of 10 would uh, fade out rather than roll to the rim. Uh, wonderful sharpshooting uh, big man. I think he helps space the floor, which is what we're doing right now. We're still in the the offense there of the Detroit Pistons. I, I think he fits in like a glove uh, with that rotation. Uh, he makes them better offensively, uh, adds some outside shooting, some more floor spacing. Uh, believe it or not, I think he could be a difference maker as a ninth or 10th man right out of the box. Does he win in the playoff series? God, no. Does he change the the future of the franchise? in in two years when they scrap everything and go to the bad boys uh philosophy no and i wouldn't want to draft the guy that could that would actually possibly do that so i think jeff turner is kind of like the perfect pick here where 
he's good for right now, but he's not going to affect, you know, the great things that are in store for you down the road. All right. There you go. There you have it. Jeff Turner, Vanderbilt uh, fame comes to the Detroit Pistons. So just to do a quick recap, Michael Jordan goes to the Rockets at one. Hakeem Olajuwon to the Blazers at two. Barkley to the Bulls at three. Stockton to the Mavs at four. Otis Thorpe goes to the Sixers at five. Sam Perkins to the Cavs at six. Alvin Robertson to the Spurs at seven. Jerome Kersey to the Clippers at eight. Sam Bowie to the Kings at nine. Jay Humphreys to the Sixers at 10. Kevin Willis to the Hawks at 11. Tom uh, Tim McCormick to the Cavs at 12. Oscar Schmidt to the Suns at 13. And the greatest Jerry Curl in the business, Michael Cage <laughs> to Clippers at 14. That's our show for this week. Um, another, another fun show. Had a lot of fun doing this. I was really looking forward to getting into this first redraft. Um, we are going to be back with another redraft, not next week, but the week after that, we're going to do the 1985 draft. We're going to just do them all in a row. And, uh, but next week is a big, big show, big show. We, when I, when we came up with this topic for the next piston, we were going to do, we both kind of went, Ooh, so we are going to do Mr. Lindsay Hunter on the next show. Uh, Keith, give them a tiny little preview of what they can expect out of this show. Uh, Lindsay Hunter, um, a very, very odd, uh, place in, in Pistons lore, really. Uh, he, he was supposed to be, uh, he, he was, believe it or not, the, the very first, uh, Pistons lottery pick ever, uh, because they had missed the lottery for the first nine years of its existence because they're in the playoffs. Uh, he was supposed to be the heir apparent, uh, to Isaiah Thomas, uh, he, uh superb score average i think 26 points a game in college his last year uh they thought he would be an instant offense type of guy and he wound up being uh really uh one of the greatest on-ball defenders certainly in pistons history maybe in, in league history and you would have to have seen lindsey hunter play uh or at least watched him play uh, on tape to really get how good he was as a defender uh but most uh, Piston fans would remember him from the 2004 uh, Pitbulls duo with Ian Mike James, you know, towards the end of Lindsay's career. But, you know, he was that guy from the beginning. Uh, very fun player, very unique player in Pistons history. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to delving into that career. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, Keith, tell them where they can find you and uh, go ahead. All right. Uh, uh, my Twitter account, as always. Uh, uh, charlatan28 c-h-a-r-l-o-t-t-e-a-n-2-8 uh, uh, I post uh, historic videos uh, usually Pistons related things that happened on this day however many years ago uh, during the offseason uh, which is where we're at right now I generally uh, do a more broad NBA uh, uh, spectrum uh, I, I you know had a ball over the uh, weekend posting you know Dikembe Mutombo and Nick Van Exel videos so even if you're not necessarily a Pistons fan or if you're just a fan of a certain age that remembers the 90s, uh, generally there's something uh, on my Twitter account that you, you will probably find interesting at least once a week. Uh, and any, any questions or any comments or you know, any memories you want, want to share, I'm usually pretty active uh, at least a little bit all the time. 
Really looking forward to that Tim McCormick uh, highlight reel that you're going to put together soon. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton. Um, obviously, I, I work at Pride of Detroit. If you, if, you, uh, if you know me, you know that. And um, training camp is near. So look for a lot of stuff. We got a lot of stuff coming out there. I got a lot of stuff coming out there. So, uh, yep, follow me on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Bad Boys Beyond. And uh, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We will be on Google Podcasts. Somebody asked about that earlier, that we will be on there soon. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. Um, we'll see you next week. <laughs>